The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, it's the .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip with guest Chris Sells, recorded live in Boston, Massachusetts, Monday, May 3rd, 2010. Carl and Richard are heading 15 cities in three weeks, recording a new show every day. Follow them in real time online at .netrocks.com slash roadtrip. The .NET Rocks Visual Studio 2010 Road Trip is brought to you by a handful of sponsors, including the following gold sponsors. Telerik, deliver more than expected. Online at www.telerik.com. Preemptive Solutions, powered by Runtime Intelligence. Online at preemptive.com. And Redgate Software, ingeniously simple tools. Online at red-gate.com. Special support is being provided by the Microsoft Visual Studio team, the Windows Phone 7 team, and the Bing team, who developed the Road Trip Tracker application in Silverlight 4. And now, here's Carl and Richard interviewing Chris Sells in Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, Boston! Welcome to .NET Rocks! <laughs> All right, the crowd. Yes, sir. Hey, Richard. Show number eleven, uh, and we made it to the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, oh man, we just drove from Chicago. Well, we boy, did are it, our arms tired? Yeah, we did it in two days, but we drove Chicago to Danbury, Connecticut, in one stretch, which was long, a good long, too long. And little, we had a little look at the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. Oh, great, great little look. Great story, by the way. So we, you know, we have this application. You can't see it, but above us is this uh, application that the Bing team wrote uh, for us. Silverlight Four. It tracks us. We have a little box in the in the RV with GPS and a telephone, a phone, you know, cell phone, and it tracks us. So it's dropping little dots all over the United States as we're going every two minutes. So some guy tweets us and says, "Hey, man, stop in Cleveland." One minute later, when are you going to stop in Cleveland? One minute later, dudes, give Cleveland some love. So I tweeted back, hey, we're stopping in Cleveland for lunch, and then took a nap. Which I thought was very nice of you, yeah, actually. Yeah, it was kind of rude, actually. So that, all this, obviously, he immediately tweeted, where, where, where? So yeah, we didn't right. tell him that. We didn't tell him. That'd be too easy. So, well, we didn't actually know where we were going to lunch, but we stopped at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for a photo op, right? right. And we're out of the RV for one minute, and the guy is there. Yeah. He's Anthony. got the laptop propped up on a steering wheel, and he's been tracking us across Cleveland. Yeah, he saw us drive by. He's like, there they are! <laughs> he ran after us, so so we invited him to lunch. He too. had lunch with us. His name is Anthony. Anthony. And yeah. then later on, he scored himself a hoodie, because we've got this contest going on. If you can get a photo of the RV moving down the highway, 
and send us the picture, tweet us the picture, we'll uh, send you a hoodie and a Donut Rocks mug. And if you can get a photo of somebody driving and taking a photo of us driving down the highway, <laughs> then we'll send you two hoodies. <laughs> but anyway, we're here with our special esteemed guest, Mr. Chris Sells from Microsoft. Give it up. Hey guys, that RV trip sounds fabulous. I'm actually a huge RV fan. You so are a huge RV fan. I, I mean, look at the size of me. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I am huge. Where was your favorite RV excursion to? Well, so, uh, well, let's see. There, uh, as a child, my grandfather would take us on RV trips. And mm-hmm. then in college, we went on some RV trips that we shall not talk about any more than that. <laughs> okay. And then recently, um, in the fall, I went with my girlfriend and we did nine days and we went down the Oregon coast and the California coast and up through Reno and Tahoe and, wow. uh, Idaho and back through Oregon. And it was like 22, uh, 100 miles in 10 days. It was, uh, it was a blast. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and the whole part of the RV thing that we're not doing, cause I've done quote unquote real RV yeah, as well, too. is when you go into that RV park with a whole bunch of other nuts like you. Yeah. And it's just a big party there. Right? Well, yeah. well, so that was the interesting thing. I mean, we would, so we'd never really stayed in an RV park, right? right? So we drove into the first one and, you know, it was mommy probably eight or nine o'clock at night. And we'd, we'd backed up into it, uh, into our site. Cause that's what you have to do. And yeah. we'd had the fight about pro- how to properly give directions during the backup <laughs> and, you know, this <laughs> way, no, no, the other yeah, way. <laughs> yeah. No, that whole kind of that, the other left, right. That kind yeah, of that yeah. one. But then we started walking around and we had just pulled in and we'd parked and we'd leveled it. Right. And that was all we'd done. And we, and we put out the little the little Pop extenders and yeah. right, and then we walked around just to see. And it turns out that these people it looked like they lived there, right? They had little oh, they um, do. They had like little signs out and lights and potted plants and artificial astroturf and little fences. It looked like they had moved in. And she was like, "What? You didn't tell me we were supposed to decorate." <laughs> <laughs> so you know we when we we uh, a few days later we were at uh theme park and yeah. we had a sign made and so when we would go we'd put out our little sign and we try to you know blend home sweet home that's right yeah it, yeah it was lovely. so when you rv do you go off the grid do you take your laptop do you take bandwidth portable bandwidth or do you just decide i'm off the grid well, so, uh, this last time when I went, um, I did not have, I mean, I had my phone, right? So if I needed to, I could surf the interweb yeah, yeah, and yeah. I could get my email and whatever. Right. But in terms of actually, you know, real bandwidth, I mean, I, uh, I could work on my laptop, but it was just, you know, against cash stuff. And yeah, it, yeah. in the old days, right, you could do development and you'd have your help installed on your machine. Yeah. Um, and you could press F1 and you could do work. Now I'm completely lost without Bing to look up this thing or that thing. Yeah. And it's like I actually have to learn and understand the API I'm programming against. Oh. It's, it's awful. That's not, that's not right. I know. It makes me feel all dirty inside. So. <laughs> We, of course, do have bandwidth in the RV. We were just talking about that before we started rolling. But when you're working, what are you working on? What are, what kind of APIs are you looking up? What are you writing these days at Microsoft? Ah, good question. So um, I do a variety of things. Um, I do a bunch of community work for the data and modeling group inside of uh, uh, SQL Server, the SQL Server division. And so, so you guys have heard about M and Quadrant. I do a bunch of that. Right. I also work with Entity Framework and OData and Data Services. I do a bunch of that work. Um, and so, actually, I have a book that I um, 
was supposed to deliver last month <laughs> <clears throat> um, called Programming Data from Addison Wesley, where I look at this set of data technologies we've got across all of the SQL Server division. And, and um, I'm busy building real-world apps with these technologies and mm. figuring out how they all fit together and when to use them and when not to use them and how to use them and that whole world um and then writing it down in a book so so because we have a, a large and confusing a variety of data technologies and there doesn't seem to be a lot of guidance overall like you're talking about when to use what well so you have a lot of you know here's a book on entity framework yeah. um and you could expect a book on odata and you know you have books on uh in uh um Integration services and reporting services, analysis services, and and you can expect to see books on M and Quadrant, right? Those kinds mm-hmm. of books. But what you don't see a lot of, and this is where I really felt the need, um, was you've got this set of technologies. How are they supposed to be used together? And yeah. when I say, how are they supposed to be used together, right? It's not like the teams got together and say, how do we make this stuff work all right, in one yeah, big yeah. seamless thing, right? I'm part of the work I'm doing. And the reason my uh, corporate masters allow me to do this work is because I go and I say, well, I'm going to use all these features. I'm what I, the, the, my pet project, my biggest one is I'm rebuilding salesbrothers.com, which oh, is, yeah. which is like a 15 year old website and gajillion people go there and, and all kinds of features. And it's kind of, built a lot of cruft up over the years. Hmm. So what I'm doing is I'm taking the our newest, latest data technologies that we recommend people use, right? OData and Entity Framework and Integration Services and Reporting Services and those technologies. And I'm rebuilding the re- website in from scratch using the latest and greatest .NET 4 web technologies. So MVC2 and IIS and all of those things. And I'm just trying to do it Using all of, you know, the technologies that we go and tell and people to use. Salesbrothers.com, of course, for your sons. Salesbrothers. It was named yeah. for my sons, yes. I'm but actually, I've just been, it's where I do, it's my personal blog and it yeah. has been forever. And it, yeah. I used to do consulting from there and I list all my books up on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, I'm just trying to, I'm, what I'm doing is raising the value of that domain name and squatting on it until my <laughs> sons can afford to buy it from me because nice. that's who I named it after. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to make a million here someday. And these technologies don't necessarily overlap in terms of in the same silo of, you know, when I have a choice between this, 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 and this. I mean, OData is a protocol, much like uh, RSS or Atom, but uh, Entity Framework contains a data model and and then software for accessing that data model. So, they're, in other words, it, all of these technologies have some overlap, but not always. So, so it's interesting... Where do you? So it's less about the overlap. I mean, we have, there is definitely a a story that, um, that we're working hard to tell. And part of that story, um, across all of the, the data and modeling team, uh, uh, their technologies, um, you know, the, the, essentially the, the dotnet programmer technologies for, Mm. for data on the platform. You can go right now to msdn.com slash data and you can see that story and you can see those technologies. And that's the data developer center that, that my group maintains. I'm busy, um, writing we, and we have overview docs that talk about these technologies and, and how they fit together. Um, but I'm busy doing two things. One, kind of writing a longer, more detailed, Hey, programmers, this is kind of the way we expect you to actually use these technologies. That's the book. But the other thing too is I'm, I'm expanding that set of technologies across the SQL Server division. I'm, and in fact, across Microsoft, right? Mm. Um, you know, people today, what kind of applications do you guys build? Do you build websites? People? Yeah. 
people uh, raising their hands. About a third? Yeah. A third. Oh, I'd say more than that. I mean, it seems like most people are that I talk to are building websites, right? And those people who are building websites um, keep their stuff in the database, right? So between the ASP.NET and, you know, Entity Framework and SQL Server, that covers a huge, broad range of the, the application people are actually building today mm-hmm. on the Microsoft platform. Mm. But they're kind of doing it without any, um, as much, um, hand holding guidance, kind of, this is really the way we think you ought to do it, um, that, as I would like them to see, because I'm building that without that guidance myself. I'm right. building my own website. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to write down. And in the process, I've got this big list of bugs of things that don't work the way I think they ought to. And so I'm busy, you know, going to the individual teams and say, well, when I use your technology with this technology over here, it doesn't work. And this is why. And here's what I'd like to do. And, and so the idea is to drive it to be even better in the future, which is again, why, why my bosses let me do it. So if we went down this list of technologies, could you drop us some hints about, uh, you know, when it's appropriate to use them? Absolutely. We happy to. Well, sure. I'm okay. happy to. I'm sh- so we can test my story, see if I know yeah. anything. All right. So let's start with Entity Framework. Well, sure. So Entity Framework is, is um, that one's easy, actually. The, the Entity Framework is, hey, I've got a database, and I'd like to write some code against it. So that's one big scenario, right? You point the, um, the uh, wizard from Visual Studio at your database, and you pick and choose the tables and the stored procedures and the views that you want to use in your application, and you get, you know, a, a C-sharp or VB uh, programming model, right? So that's one big scenario. And so once you've done that, you get kind of the raw view, right? Here's how it looks in the database. Mm. Now, the database, as an example, the database on salesbrothers.com was built by, well, it, actually, the tables themselves have been built up over time by different people, right? I've had different people help me yeah. add new features to the website. Right. And they do it in different ways. And the thing has just kind of evolved organically. None of the names match. And and so what the way I use Entity Framework is, and I think this is kind of pretty common in, in you know, in multi-data source kinds of worlds mm-hmm. and even single data sources with multiple designers, is that on the Entity Framework side, I take a look at this model and I go, well, okay, great. Well, let's see. These are the parts I need. These are all different naming schemes. Let me pick the names that I think are reasonable for my program. Let me throw away the fields I don't want. Let me put in some calculated fields that I do want, right? Let me change the mapping on the client side instead of uh, what's on the server side. And so the nice thing about an Entity Framework is I'm allowed to do that mapping an entity framework will let me do that while still, you know, the tables themselves in the database haven't changed, right? So I'm building up my new website with this new view of the same exact data that my live running current website is using. And if I didn't really know what was going on in the entity framework uh, behind the scenes, my, my alarm should be going off now saying, well, okay, when I select my tables and then I'm writing link queries against those, are those are those working at the application level? And do I need table access there? Is it is it writing stored procs for me? Like what kind of what kind of what about if I look at the SQL that's going back and forth sure. between the Entity Framework and the sure. SQL Server? What's that going to look like? So that that so we worked really hard, and especially in the new version of Entity Framework 4.0 that we just shipped last month, right? We worked really hard to make sure that that SQL is the same kind of SQL that your best SQL admin would write for you. And so the way, in fact, Link works um, is there's this interface, the core, really the core of this language integrated query stuff is not the select and the from and, you know, putting things that look like SQL in my C sharp or VB. It's really this interface called iQueryable. And what iQueryable does is 
um, uh, when you walk up to something and you get an iQueryable back and you start stacking them up, right? When you say, okay, this is a list of stuff from the database, right? And now I want to do a, 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 a filter based on that. Now I want to do a projection. Um, now I want to do an order. Instead of actually pulling all that data and then filtering it and ordering it and projecting it and doing all of that in memory on the client side, what it's doing is because it's iQueryable and not iEnumerable, iQueryable is stacking these expressions one on top of each other. And then when I say go, right, I say count, or I say for each, or I say I want to actually do the data, that's when um, the link engine is walking that, it's really the link provider that's doing this now. It's walking that list of um, of expressions and coming up with the most um, appropriate fewest round trips to the database that it can to do it all at once. So it's not just select star, it's select star where, yeah. or select whatever you want, where, order by, et cetera. And if there are other tables that you want to, yeah. we can pull them all over at, at once. And I guess what I'm asking, and, and this is a really good explanation, thank you, is that you, your application's going to need access to those tables. It's going to need read-write access to those tables. In other words, you're not the typical way that we would have done it with ADO.net is we would build store procedures well, so that's interesting. Right. So if you've got stored procedures, so, so in, in entity framework, whatever kinds of access you have to those tables that a developer, meaning if you've got raw access to the tables, great. Entity framework can pull seems them like in. the model works best when you use tables. Not true at all, actually. If you've no. just got a set of views or if you've got a mixed set of views and tables, that's fine. If you've got stored procedures, mm. and it's, I mean, by default, we will generate, you know, inserts, right? I create a new object and I say, save changes, right? We'll generate an insert statement. But if you tell us to, in the model, we can go, oh, never mind. You've got a, an in-store stored procedure. We, we'll use that instead, right? So stored procs. And views and tables all work great okay. in Entity Framework. So it depends. If you have your database modeled that way, then that's fine. Now, but Entity Framework's not going to write those for you. It's if no. you've got them. Exactly right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, whose RAD controls outperform all others. Are you experiencing performance hits when handling millions of records with your Silverlight grid? Have you been frustrated by the amount of XAML code it takes to create a control template? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your app performance. And of course, there's no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building RAD controls for Silverlight, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution. Through UI and data virtualization, data sampling, and content recycling, RAD controls help you deliver unbeatable performance with your Silverlight apps. You can check out Telerik Silverlight Grid handling 50 million cells as a piece of cake or RAD chart working seamlessly with a million records. Just go to Telerik.com slash Silverlight slash performance for details. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. They truly make this show possible. A lot of what we find in the scenarios are, you know, people are using this to build their database and there's kind of this... Chinese wall, right? Where you've got database administrators and developers, right? It's kind of like, um, you know, I was talking with uh, a security guy in the audience today. Um, raise your hand. Pat. Pat? Pat? Oh, yeah, Pat. He was telling me all these scary security stories about how he goes in and locks things down. And what it really boils down to is, you know, 
I'm one of those developers that likes to think, see things work at the end of the day. And Pat's one of those developers that likes to stop me from doing work at the end of the see, day. See, my, right? my point exactly. Yeah, exactly. Developers so, hate security. Right. And so kind of, it's kind of that same way between developers and, and the, uh, the database administrators, right? The developers want to do whatever. The database administrators don't want you to do anything. So, right? Uh, Sahil calls them developer fairies and infrastructure ogres. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I would point out, having been the DBA guy, when you change all the customer names to John Smith, I catch hell for it. <laughs> no, I understand that. And so it's not that I blame you, right? Because you've got a set of things that you have to do, right? Oh, and I you've forgot got a name the wear convention. Clause. Yeah. Oh, wear clause. Wear clause. No, I understand that. I believe me, Richard, the work you do, you're sainted. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. But what, what, what that boils down to is as a developer, you don't get to poke views or stored procs into the database without, you know, paperwork and meetings and yeah. blah, blah, blah. So what we do with Entity Framework is, Whatever access, whatever you can do, we will let you model that and then change your client-side model so that it fits the work you want to do and the way you want to think about so it. So now I've got my model. Now there's so many different things that I can use to propagate that model to a client. Ah, so now you're talking about, so with Entity Framework, I can build my apps. And of course, I'm probably going to build, um, you know, uh, ASP.NET apps, right? Yeah. Web apps. But the other thing I really want to do in my uh, web apps more and more is not only do I want an HTML rendering of my web application so that humans can surf to it and get the goodness that is my web app, but I, more and more, I want to be able to provide XML kinds of renderings or JSON kinds of renderings so that I can get to them from my computer programs, right? So I can write apps against the goodness that is my website. So for example, you know, you surf to netflix.com right now and you get all kinds of wonderful data. Okay. But if you go to odata.netflix.com, what you'll get is the open data protocol, right? And this is a protocol that we implement in the data services that's part of .NET 4. And essentially, um, you know, to just to get started, it's a very few lines of code where you can say, I would like an odata endpoint. And here's the, my, um, my data model, the exact same data model that I'm using to map my database and write my web app. I can take that data model and say, here, feed it up like this. And you can, and by default, you'll get nothing, right? It's secure out of the box. But then you can say, oh, these entities I would like to provide read access to. These entities I would like to provide read write access. And by the way, if you want to do HTTPS, you totally can, or whatever HTTP security you want. Pat, Pat Hines do. is cringing right now. Yes. He's HTTP look, he's crossing security. himself. So we didn't invent a new security model. We're just using the existing one. We're making <laughs> all of that work. Wow. Pat, is that okay? Do you, okay. Pat says this is okay. But the idea is that this huge percentage, you know, I'm normally an 80-20 kinds of guy, mm -hmm. but really it boils down to like 98% of the time, the data you want from Amazon or Google or Netflix or all of these sites is I want to do a query or um, sometimes I want to add something to the list or I want to update something that's on the list, right? It's all of this CRUD stuff, create, read, update, and delete. Yeah. And so OData goes all rest. It yeah. takes the Atom Pub protocol, which is all about mapping po uh, HTTP verbs, right? Get, post, put, and delete to the CRUD operations. And we, so we layer a, some additional stuff on top of the standard Atom Pub protocol mm -hmm. so that we can do things like typed um, access to stuff. So in, instead of getting HTML or XML or uh, XHTML in your payload from Atom Pub, you get Name value pairs, types name value pairs. These are my customers. These are my entities. These are my orders, right? Yeah. And then um, instead of just having one URL syntax where you can say, and that's the way REST works is, 
In REST, you have a, a URL and that represents a resource that you can get or put or post mm -hmm. or delete, right? What we do is we, we actually define a query language so that you can build up URLs over the data and that will be your query language. And we, do, and we define a very rich query language that can work across any kinds of data. So we've got this, all right, we got our model on the server. We're publishing XML points with OData. Now, where does oh, the XML and JSON, by the way, JSON. Uh, the data services stuff supports okay. uh, an out of the box JSON uh, model. So, um, so you can walk up to it with your website and get that data back as JSON. So now, how does how do, how do we get that into our Silverlight application? How ah, do good we question. get that model? So we have so O data. Out of the box, right? The only thing you need to consume OData is, you know, uh, HTTP and XML, right? If you've got that, you can get to any OData. And in fact, it's just browsing through OData. You can look at any OData data pack and go, oh, that's all my data. And from here, I can get that piece of data and I can go over here and get this other piece of data. And you mm -hmm. can see from each instance where you can go, right? You can, you can visually walk through the data and then go to the, the query bar and start typing new things and boom, you're, you're exploring your data right live. Okay. But we also have a set of client side libraries to make it even better, right? So for example, data services works on the client side too and you get link, um, over data services, which essentially takes your link queries and turns it into URLs for pulling that stuff. Instead of turning it into SQL, we turn it into URLs that okay. is OData. Or we have PHP, Java. We have some Ajax wrappers too, if you like that kind of thing. Um, uh, and you were asking about, oh, Silverlight. And of course we have a Silverlight client, right? So, so you can get your OData directly from Silverlight. It's like add service reference, boom, you're using it. And where does WCF RIA services fit into all this? Good question. So WCF RIA services. Um, rich internet access services. Yes. So the rich internet applications. Applications. Right. And the idea there is that um, RIA is all about, I am building the client side and the server side of my application at the exact same time. Okay. And if I do that, then I can make a bunch of assumptions and I can have much tighter integration between the client and the server. So essentially at that point, you're building one Silverlight app, but it happens because of the way the internet works. Some of it lives on the client, some of it lives on the server, and you're kind of trying to not worry about that too much, right? Yes. So that's what RIA is for. It's so it provides much, it provides very tight integration with the assumption that it's really just one app. Whereas OData is all about, I've got some data that I want to expose to the world. Oh, and by the way, I might also want to build some applications against it. Mm. And of course, you can use that OData in a very nice way. Now, over time, there are some features, some integration that we want from RIA in OData, in data services specifically. So we're busy figuring out what those are so that over time, we'll have one thing mm -hmm. that is very tightly integrated and it's consumable by the world. But that's work we're still doing. But technically, you're, you're implying here that RIA services is sort of the tighter, more specific protocol. Right, right, right. Theoretically faster, too? Faster development-wise, certainly. In, uh, in terms of development, there's a bunch of stuff in there. You right. build a Silverlight application in Visual Studio 2010, and you create an entity data model on the server side. And then you create a service against that model with, you know, just adding and right-clicking, you know, wizards or whatever. And then in your client, there's code gen by RIA services toolkit and it's right there. And, and by the way, that, that experience you just described for RIA services is identical for OData. 
Oh, today? Wow, great. Today, out of the box, right. today. I right. just say ad service reference, pointed at an OData endpoint. I get generated code. I get link over that. I'm just, I mean, the That's XML wonderful. is there, but I never have to think about it. It just works. It just works. And yep. you get the optimistic concurrency too, right? You can make changes, send them back in yeah. batches, the whole thing. We're back to this whole question of why do we have both? Shouldn't they be one thing? Well, Absolutely. And we're, and we're working on that. OData is the open protocol. Open data protocol, right. Everybody. And in fact, if you go to odata.org, you can read all about all the stuff I'm saying. Yeah. And odata.netflix.com, uh, also, like he said, publishes all, you could, you could with URLs just by changing the yep. syntax yep. of the URLs. And that's, and that's Odata. Searches for movies and get back lots and lots or of Or directors data. or actors yeah. or say, that same data that drives netflix.org, you can write programs against. It does feel like we're simplifying lately, right? I mean, the past, it's been very complicated to develop coming in the past five years or so. Mm, I would and, agree. And now yeah. we're seeing sort of Silverlight becoming dominant in typical apps, yep. WCF yep, being yep. sound like it's going to merge in with Silverlight anyway. And, and same thing on the data stack side, you know, two You're talking years about WPF. Ago, yeah, WPF. Yeah, yeah. We, we see the role of WPF and, and Silverlight sort of coming together. And mm-hmm. now we're talking about the same thing on the WCF world. Where all of, remember, I mean, two years ago, we were talking about Astoria and, and yeah. there's so many technologies and it feels like we're coming up with this is the one way. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're absolutely, and we, we understand, right? And remember the book I was writing, right? We have right. this, mm-hmm. this set of things we could do and that's great. And you can, and if you're happy doing them, then you should. But the book is really about how we think you ought to be writing your programs. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point there. Because there's a lot of choices and it's hard. Yeah. And we're all busy also, um, combining the technology. So you just have fewer choices that we just make something that works great and you don't have to worry about it so much. And ADO.net still works, right? ADO.net is the <laughs> core of all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, we, I'm, I was just reviewing the other day. We're about ready to publish a, a white paper on, we took, um, Hanselman's nerddinner.com 2.0 that he just released for .NET 4. Wait a minute. Wait, and, wait, wait, wait. I thought nerd dinner was an event. It's software now. No, nerddinner.com, dude. Nerddinner.com. Absolutely. And so it's all about tracking and scheduling nerd dinners across the country. Where <laughs> the hell awesome. have you been? Dude. <laughs> I love this. Anytime I don't know something that Chris knows, he goes, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and anyway, it's, and it's the second version, no less. It is the second version for .NET four. And All you Portland people know each other, I think. We yeah. we, we do, yeah. as it turns out. Yes, um, we have meetings, which we schedule on nerddinner.com. Weren't you listening? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, um, this is a piece of software, obviously MVC two yeah. and and um, Entity Framework. And so what we did was we said, well, what happens? Uh, let's just make it very clear to people. Because there's a lot of ADO.net uh, code in the raw data reader code in the world. There's a lot of data set code in the world. There's a lot of link to SQL code in the world. And more and more, of course, there's entity framework code in the mm-hmm. world. And that's kind of where we're putting, you know, our engineering effort going forward. Yeah. But the idea here is that we took this white paper and we said, well, let's take this entity framework version and let's go way back to ADO.net 1.0. What happens when you implement it, Nerd Dinner in ADO.net data reader? What happens when you implement it in data set? What happens when you implement it in link to SQL? And so what we did was we, we implemented all of them and we did a compare and contrast, right? Pros and cons. And you can just tell as you move from ADO.net 1.0 through to Entity Framework where you want to be spending your time, right? In terms of developer yeah. time. So I got one more question for Chris before we wrap up here because it's, uh, I'm looking at the clock and we got about five minutes. Uh, on show nine, I think it was, of .NET Rocks, you were a guest. I think it was nine. Eight. Eight? Eight. You're Do you remember? About the memory show? Yeah. Yeah. This is- so we were talking about, go ahead. This is one of the most downloaded shows 
to date. <laughs> I guarantee if I went and looked at the stats for the uh, for this month, for like April of 2010, this show you recorded in November of 2002, yeah. still got a couple of thousand downloads. <laughs> wow. What did I yeah. say? <laughs> well, it was all about memory management and garbage collection and dispose and all of that great stuff. Wow. And, you know, the whole story of how you helped to influence that. Uh, <laughs> I just complained, and the right people listened. That's yeah. all I'll take credit for. Absolutely. Don't blame me. And so, you know, you don't hear too much about garbage collection and iDisposable and, and finalizers anymore. And I wonder, is it because now I've got 16 gigs of RAM on my machine <laughs> and I'm running 32-bit pro, uh, processes and 64-bit OS and it just doesn't matter anymore? Actually, I think that the reason that you don't hear a lot about it is that Mostly people know about it and they use really using blocks. So? I think they use using blocks and they just go on with their lives. I seriously doubt that most developers understand the impact of memory usage in a using block. Well, of course, it's not the memory usage we're talking about, right? The garbage collector right, is garbage the thing collector. managing your memory, yeah. right? The using is for managing everything else, right? It so, certainly got simpler with the using block. And in fact, it was interesting, but as you... As you do more and more things in just pure managed code, mm. then memory is more and more the resources you're talking about, right? Yeah. At this point, I mean, it's, it, resources in that sense has always been about reaching to the underlying operating system and right. grabbing file handles or, or com kernel objects, objects or com, com objects. And yeah. people are doing that. I mean, certainly they do file handles and I think they close their files and they know how to close their files, right? Mm. Um, and of course that we have database connections and they do that and they know how to do that. But when it comes to network connections, most people do that with, um, you know, the web client stuff, which does everything at once, right? You just for you. grab it and then it closes the connection, right? I mean, um, and in, even with entity framework, you're not holding open a database connection at all. It's just not that option. Yeah. No. Um, the database connection is opened when you do something, but it's closed without you, right? So more and more that the system is just providing APIs that that is less of an issue. And we're spending less and less time interfacing to com objects. Yeah. Let's right? face it. So, there's less and less that you have to worry about, but com objects are still a big issue. I, I think I always say the sense that the power of show eight was making people who were used to managing their own memory. Yeah. Comfortable with the fact that now you didn't have to. Sure. Right? And that's a good thing, by the way. Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, we try really hard um, to write, better SQL than 80% of the developers know how to write. We try really hard how to generate better code. I mean, when we were moving from ASM to C, C to C++, we tried really hard to write better code as our, we compiled down to the lowest level than you know, somebody would do by hand so that they would feel less of a need to do that. Mm. And with these frameworks and, this, and uh, .NET and managed code, we try really, really hard to manage memory better than you would do it yourself. Now, yeah. for, it turns out, so, for example, when we moved to Silverlight on the phone, people are really wanting to build Twitch games, right? They want to build Doom. They want to build, you know, games. Yeah. And the garbage collector running in the middle of a Twitch game really kills the move, so right? <laughs> not, not good. That's a buzzkill right bad. there. Hang on a second. Right. Okay, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> let, let the rockets fly. Yeah, exactly. So, that's not... So the, the, the there's two kinds of strategies there. One, you can reach in and try to influence the garbage collector, which never works. Or two, um, more and more of these game developers are saying, well, here, I know the resources I'm going to be using mm -hmm. 30 times a second. Yeah. I'm going to pre-allocate them while the start screen is up. Right. And then just use those. And yeah. so the garbage collector never fires at all. So, 
over time, we're finding out the, the things that we need to do to work in this garbage collector world. And then, of course, you get all the benefits associated right. with that, right? right? I mean, I, when we first moved from C++ to C Sharp, I did a little study and I, and I just looked at, you know, here's a program written with C++, right? And I was using smart pointers and doing memory management and that whole thing, right? And resource management of all kind. And here's the .NET equivalent. And just the goo it took to manage those resources was like 40% of my program. Yeah, right. So, I mean, my programs just get smaller. And that's less co- lines of code to write, less lines of code to debug and maintain. And that's good. I yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Although garbage Absolutely. collections had to evolve. In 4.0, there's a bunch of new features in garbage collection because we... You know, the, the design of the garbage collector made perfect sense in 1999 when desktop machines had one right, core right, right, right. And, and maybe right. a gig of RAM was a lot. Right. You know, and now the multi- Over time, yep. Yeah. And the multi- and by the way, the, the garbage collector has evolved yeah. to take these things into account mm-hmm. and does better and better job. Yeah, back, the, the big thing in, in 4.0 is this background uh, garbage collecting. It's just that they're way smarter about, oh, we've got more cores to play with here. I'll only lock that one process while I clean this piece off. And that thing's only referencing that generation, so I'll tie that down. But, you know, they really minimize the impact on the app. It's, it's really brilliant. Mm. But I've found that almost nobody cares. Like, I'm really excited about it. Apparently, it's just me. <laughs> well, <laughs> you and Mark Rosinovich yeah. care deeply, deeply about, about that, but right? I'm the guy who's into tuning websites at extreme speeds. Sure. And, and of course, you know, if you're building Amazon.com, if yeah. you're building Netflix.com, if you're building these Everybody else is just trying systems, to order a movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Most of us, on the other hand, are building, you know, internal apps that run inside or even external com- commercial apps, unless you're in that top 1%. The set of technologies that we've got now make that so much easier. For example, just going from, so looking at salesbrothers.com and as it's evolved and I've added features over the years, over 15 years and rebuilding them from scratch. Um, I have, I literally, literally have 10% of the code that I did mm. that has gathered up over the last. Yeah. I took all of the content and I threw it in the database. Some, some of it was before and some of it wasn't. Mm. Um, and uh, I rewrote the functionality and it is, I mean, with use of entity framework and OData and, um, you know, just MVC2, it's, it is honestly literally 10% wow. of the code that I took before. Chris, what's the name of your book going to be? Do you know? Programming Data is the working title. Who knows what it'll, what it'll actually be by the time we ship, but I kind of like that title. So. And you got a time frame? Uh, before I die or maybe slightly afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> How my, late will they let you go? Oh well, they they have set a terrible precedent before this in this in this Press? place. Addison Wesley, Addison Wesley Long Pearson. Right. So um, so it was funny. So the, the my understanding of this whole RV trip was to talk about Visual Studio and the advances in Visual Studio, and yeah. and I asked you what I should do, and and you said think about you know Visual Studio your Visual Studio experiences from the past, and right. so. Um, I actually started in 92. I went to Microsoft and I took a class. I went to become an Intel employee. Wow. And so before then, um, my day job was I was programming, uh, Unix system five revision four, right? That was my, um, right. Talk fabulous, uh, programming environment. No GUI of any kind, but wonderful programmers. And then I'd go home and, you know, read email and play games and write word processing documents on my, um, Macintosh 2CX. So the ultimate GUI at the time, mm-hmm. right? And so I had the best of both worlds. And so Intel came knocking in 92 and I'd never run Windows or DOS. I just heard they sucked, 
<laughs> and it was all I could do to spend 10 minutes on a Windows 3.1 box to confirm what I had heard. That was the worst combination of programmer and, and uh, GUI ever. I hated it. Mm. Um, then Intel hired me, moved me out to Oregon, Portland. Mm-hmm. That's where I still am. And they sent me to this class on Microsoft campus in Redmond, where we sat for a week and I ran QuickC 1.0. And I learned how to program from Charles Petzold, like everyone, yeah. and writing you know Windows pumps in C. And that's how I learned how to program. And oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was so awful. Even when you learn from the best, you'd still oh, it was it was awful. But I'll tell you, over time, the development environment, um, because now I've so I've I've gone now and I programmed my iPhone with Xcode on uh OS uh 10 and that whole thing. And we just have the tools and the I'm well, okay, let me back up. I am a Microsoft employee. Everything I'm telling you, you should not believe. <laughs> but I love our tools. I really do. Yeah. I really, really do. And I have a 22 inch Macintosh at home at my house. I never, it gathers dust. I never want to use it. I, I'm a happy Windows 7 user. Mm. It's got keystrokes for things. I don't have to reach for the mouse all the stupid time. Yeah. If it doesn't work the way I want, um, and if Scott Hanselman hasn't already listed a utility that fixes it, <laughs> <laughs> then I've got the best, f- most fabulous uh, developer tools ever to fix yeah. it. And I'm such a happy Windows user and, and programmer because of Visual Studio, right? Yes. Quick C was the shell that became Visual C++ mm-hmm. and then Visual Studio um, 1.0. And then I've just been using it so happily ever since I can't even tell you. All right. Let's give it up for Chris Sells. Thank you, Chris. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks! Thank you. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 